Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And if you're hearing me say the intro, you probably know Mayu's not with us in today's preamble. This episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. We still have an episode for you, but to be honest, guys, we screwed up. We did not get our episode edited in time. However, we still have another banger for you. About two weeks ago, Mayu and I were featured on the Jazz Takar podcast. We had an amazing time on there. If you guys haven't checked the episode out already, we're going to dive into it today. Basically, we talk about a couple of relevant articles that were out and trending and gave our thoughts on it. We talked about social media. We talked about the changing landscape of real estate investing, how we are investing in today's markets, opportunities that are out there, if the burst still works, and many other trending topics. Again, this is a recording from the Jazz Takar podcast, and it's just Mayu and I being featured on. It's an episode that was released about two weeks ago on his podcast. But if you guys haven't heard it, I think there's still a ton of fantastic value in it. So without further ado, we're going to jump right on in. Just a heads up before we get started, this podcast is all about providing you information, not financial or legal advice. So if you need the real deal for your situation, hit up a professional. We can't promise you our information is always up to date or accurate, and we're not responsible for any investment decisions you make based on it. Markets change, information change, you know the drill. Anyways, thank you for hanging out with us responsibly. Let's jump right on in. If you're watching live on Twitch, you know what to do. Ask your questions, and you're going to want to ask questions today because my guests are like these two. Yeah, I said it on a on an Instagram live, don't let their young boyish looks fool you. They're men, <laughs> but they're good looking, good looking boys. I got my boy, Austin. I got my boy, Mayu. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, John. Good, man. Well, amazing. I appreciate it, man. I'm living the dream, buddy. I get to um do this, which, you know, we were talking for whatever it was, a minute or so off air. My favorite thing that I get to do on a daily basis, putting like my personal life, my two kids, my wife and family stuff. Kind of that, like I call that pedestal stuff. I don't really like compare that to anything. My favorite thing to do is content. Why? Because especially in a long form like this, like we're going to go for 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it may be, two hours, right? Um, And we get, I get to learn from someone else, right? Where in my day-to-day job, being a real estate broker, having a team, it's been literally, I'm in my 20th year. There's some monotony to it. Right. And, yeah. and, and I kind of know what to expect. Yeah. The market changes and all that, but I've been in the sales industry for coming up to 30 years that you, I kind of figured it out, so to speak, which some of that means that you all, it, it really just comes down to adjusting. But when I get to sit with guys that a, that a had me on their podcast, and that's why I said it's been a long time <laughs> coming. Cause you guys haven't been on the Jazz Hacker podcast yet. You and I didn't even do Dude, virtual. We've had one. No, I think I, Austin, I'm going to look back. I think it was some other type of webinar. I'm not sure if it was the Jazz. If it was, then it was on. 
It was on Zoom. Perfect. Okay. okay. Pandemic time. And yeah. Mario was too busy for us. <laughs> well, I'm not sure which one it was. He didn't make it out. But uh, to answer your question, brother, I'm truly living the dream. Like, the, you know, you, you noticed the sign that said establish in Rexdale. Like, I'm a kid from Rexdale that now gets to speak to whoever wants to listen. For all the people that are watching, started this podcast four years ago. Um, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of downloads and, and views and all that. I'm not saying that to impress anyone. Truth is, I was like, fuck, nobody's going to really listen other than maybe I knew my family would because they would support me. And I was like, my clients will listen because I've nurtured them for so long. I never thought like I would be walking in a condo elevator and people are like, hey, man, it's you, Jazz Tacker, like from the podcast. And it feels nice that you put in all the work and people are listening. And, and I'm talking to two podcasters, right? So first and foremost, what's your podcast name? Where do people find it? And what is it about? Uh, Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast. Oh, or, I love it. Most of our downloads are, are Spotify, iTunes. That's a real platform. We started doing YouTube literally in the last like three to six months yeah. or so, right? Um, ultimately, just more so like to, to change it up, to expand the network. We were talking about this right before with the entire LinkedIn approach as well, right? Um, ultimately, the, the real estate as a whole in Canada is a niche topic. And then you, tar- you target investors. Now you're going even more niche, right? And so really, instead of like trying to all just go after the same market space, we realize there's a lot more platforms out there that you could essentially just add them on very easily. So, so. You, you, you do the recording because you kind of glossed over it. You, you, you do the recording. It's you two hosting it. You bring on guests mm-hmm. and then you do the recording like virtually, right? From yeah. what I remember, yeah. um, you guys are in separate places as well. Yeah. Separate. Okay. Um, um, and then you take that recording and then you put it up on YouTube. So it's kind of like a video podcast, essentially. Like, I think that's the word. Yeah. Right. We, we worked away there. <laughs> yeah. Initially, we were doing just Spotify to, to Mayu's Point and Apple. Yeah. Then we realized for people to discover our podcast, they legit have to search for it. Right. They have to search, oh, a, an investing podcast on Spotify. So it right. automatically needs to be in their head. So we figured, cut it up into shorts. We yeah. got inspired by you and seeing what you're doing. Appreciate that. Um, so we're cutting up into shorts. We, we're going to throw it on TikTok. It's on YouTube. I think, what was it? Like our second or third short with Andrew Trubetta. He's a paralegal. Okay. We got like 3K views on our short. He's in the short. Yeah. yeah so it's it's insane right yeah, now. Yeah. I've been screaming from the rooftop, especially to 50% of my viewership is real estate investors. 50% is real estate agents and, and, okay. and real estate professionals, the mortgage guys and all. Like I always call them the cousins in our industry. I'm like, guys, I know you like to go on Instagram. I know that's the thing and it's kind of cool. First and foremost, I think Instagram right now in 2024, February is a very tough place to break through because there's yeah. so much yeah. content going there. YouTube shorts, you put up a fucking video, you'll get 3,000 views, you'll get 5,000 views and it's 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 going to have more of an evergreen effect. And what I mean by that is, is because it's sitting on YouTube as a short, people search on YouTube. Right which will give people the opportunity to also go to your long form. Yeah, it's a search engine, right? It's basically, I think Gary Vee says it, like the search engine now is TikTok, it's YouTube shorts. Like I'm planning a trip, we're talking offline to Mexico City to find things to do. I'm not going on Google and clicking on websites at all. I'm going on TikTok and saying five things to do in Mexico City and just watching through those reels. So we have to, like even as investors, our content to us might seem dull, but we have to adjust uh, you know, it's a, well, they're, they're talking about where does ChatGPT fit in all this, right? And it's like if you you go on ChatGPT, if you want a specific answer, yeah. you go on YouTube for like the how-to videos, how to build a table, how to whatever, whatever, right? 
how to invest in real estate, all that stuff is on YouTube. You're not going on, on ChatGPT and asking it that, right? 100%. So each, each platform has its own application. And so we're still like, in our opinion, we're breaking in. Like we're, we're at the, like we're at the very early stages of like getting on. Well, I think you guys went the, you, you went about it the right way. And, and what I mean by that is, is that if people ask me all the time, like, should I start with the short form videos or should I go long form? My advice, and I'm not sure if it's right for everyone. It's been right for me is go long form because if you have the ability to go like your best podcast is like 45 minutes, an hour or something yeah. like that. And if you feel like cutting it short, whatever. Out of that now, you can take out these one minute videos. I think it's tougher for people to start with the 37 second video and then work your way up because yeah. this takes endurance. Like I'm not like, you know, it's not a marathon race by any means to do an hour conversation. But when you have that habit and please, like if you disagree, I, like I want to know about it. Like if you have the habit of being able to go long form, I think it's a lot easier to just not only take out the content, but then do your own 37 second video because you're like, shit, bro, I went for an hour. Like you also work out the kinks of the insecurities. Right. Yeah. Because in an hour, you're going to say some dumb shit sometimes. Or you're going to stumble. You're going to say, um, you're going to say. Like a sticker out and you're like, <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And so, and if you have the ability to keep people on for an hour, right, right. you're probably talking about something that's engaging. Is Did you guys feel that like by going long form first? Uh, I think I think content is is constantly changing, and so when you take it back to 2019, because you started in 2019, I started right around 2020, yeah. kind of COVID time, just even being public about our investing and what we were doing and all that kind of stuff. At that time, I could do a blog post during COVID, post it on a Sunday morning, and it would get like hundreds of thousands of views mm. and like reads, and I'm like, yo, what the heck? People are reading like blog posts. That's long form content, but that was a time when people were sitting at home doing nothing. You post on a Sunday morning, you're nailing the timing. You were just going to read it. You post a blog post today. It's not nearly as good as it was back in the days, right? With even with more followers that we have today and so on. So blog posts used to do really good. Then proof of concept in every like realtor's journey or investor's journey or whatever, proof of concept became really important. So showing the, showing the deals that you're doing, properties that you're buying, all that kind of stuff was really important um, in getting ourselves established. And then it went from that into, we found the podcast is really good to actually build a community, build like a loyal, like following, right? Um, and then from there, we still do the podcast and then you try to add on the short form clips to show theoretical like competencies in short kind of like blast. And then what we found really recently, like we were talking about as well, is, is memes are doing really good. Because yeah. like it, it's become so much that you go on Instagram and it's so educational to a point that it gets kind of boring. Yeah. Like you have to go on TikTok to dumb it down a little bit. Right, right. right, right. You're going on to, to catch a break, right? You're not going on to learn and like Google. Yeah, most people on those social platforms are going to get entertained. Yeah. If you can find a way to use a, I don't even know if it's a real word, but like edutainment, I think that as a content creator, yeah. if you can cross that. I think you, you have a much better chance of winning because people's, when they're going on these social platforms, they don't really want to learn. Yeah. Right. Like YouTube, obviously they do, but if you can find a way and those memes probably help with that, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the memes, what I find it does, it helps with reshareability. So when I look at the analytics of the meme, a lot of the audience are non-followers. Now it's not, they're not going to get value out of, they're going to get a laugh of it, yeah. but they'll follow me as a result and they can stay for the other content that's on there. Yeah, right. Especially if they like it kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, right? So it becomes sort of like a lead gen in terms of like the long form content and short form content. Um, I think you can go either way. So what I've done is like when I do Instagram reels, like short form Instagram reel, mm -hmm. um, I can easily turn that through long form through using AI now, right? right. They're using chat GPT. So I'll transcribe my 30 second video on like what's an appraisal 
And then I'll throw it on ChatGPT. I'm like, expand this and turn this to a full blog article. Take that, throw that on uh, LinkedIn, right? Or I can create another long form video from it and vice versa, right? Like you can turn long form into short form. Exactly. That's easier. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think with AI, I mean, you don't only the other way around. Going the other way around, it becomes easier. A hundred percent. I mean, today's conversation, uh, this is why I love going long form because we had no idea that we we're going to be going into this much of a <laughs> but I hope everybody who's listening right now and watching either live or the recording. And if you're watching live, just throw in your questions. Um, we'll make sure that we get to it. But the role that content plays, like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter what you do. These boys are not, correct me if I'm wrong, none of you are licensed real estate agents. No. That's a change in the last year. Uh, mortgages. Your mortgages. Okay. Yeah. So you're a real estate professional, the cousin yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about in the industry. But even as investors, that's yeah. what the conversation is going to be about today you know the importance of content because at some point you guys probably hit a wall. It's what I always tell investors. At some point, you're going to hit a wall where you can't get financing. It's not going to become as easy as it was maybe for the first five, six, seven properties. And for some people, maybe after their first two or three, right? Mm -hmm. One thing that you're going to have to look at is doing some type of joint ventures, getting some money partners, raising some capital. And I got to tell you, I probably get, without any exaggeration, every week I get at least three emails in the last five years, every week nonstop of somebody trying to raise cap. And I don't know if it's, sometimes it's directed to like, I know it's, it's not a, a, a mass email, but the first thing I do is look into see like, what credibility do you have? What are you talking about? Right. Hence why I'm sure you guys have been able to build out your portfolios to the uh, place that you have now, because you have the credibility of the content that you put out there. And people know, like, you're talking about what is an appraisal? What are some ways to maybe get some financing, right? Like, when people see you online, they're like, all right, you're not just some fucking shyster trying to raise some capital because this is your first time at the rodeo, right? Yeah. Anyways, guys, I got some stories that we're going to cover. A couple of things. You guys tell me where you want to start. There's no really rhyme or reason to it. Um, a couple of articles that I thought, because you guys are investors um, and you speak to a lot of people through your podcast, through your day-to-day, um, how... What something that just came out from RBC was housing prices expected to hit bottom in Toronto this spring. I'm always interested to know how people know when the bottom's going to hit. Um, the housing prices, or was it? Uh, um, we're going to go into this. Yeah. Just I just want to go over kind of maybe the table of contents a little bit. Like housing minister says, building homes is vital uh, regardless of interest rates. Interest rate cuts would ease housing supply uh, constraint. Fraser suggests Fraser being the housing minister. GTA market stats. I like to talk about kind of what I call the swing cities. Um, which for me is Durham and Brampton. We'll talk about why I mentioned that. But before I go there, are you a Max fan? Is that what the ref line is? Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not. Uh, shout out to Laura. She's a massive Max fan. I think it's because like they're both Dutch. I think that's why she kind of uh, uh, swayed towards being a fan of his. Curious to what your thoughts are on Richard Hamilton. Richard uh, Richard Hamilton, I always call oh, him. Oh, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis, Richard Hamilton. I'm a basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I always, yeah, Lewis Hamilton um, uh, uh, moving over to Ferrari. And he's not going to win it. You think so? <laughs> so I did. Yeah. Are you, are you like, <laughs> shocking? I didn't really. Matter. Since Max came out, that was your, I think, generational talent. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to compete with that. Even, even with, with a new car, car like, yeah. No. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I just <laughs> want to get your take on it. Where do you guys want to go first, man? Do we just go with the bottom? Start at the bottom? The bottom the bottoming of the price. Perfect. The bottom of the prices. Okay, perfect. Um, and my boys bring it up. We have it here. Perfect. Okay, so Canada is seeing early signs of a housing market upturn and Toronto could see prices bottom out this spring. 
Uh, this is a study from Royal Bank. So we always like to obviously quote where these studies are coming from and where these articles are coming from. It suggests that the downturn that started in the spring of tw- uh, t- uh, 2022 may have run its course. Uh, interest rate drops for fixed rate mortgages since November have cracked the door open for buyers and growing expectations. The Bank of Canada's next move will be a rate cut are tentatively bolstering. It's interesting because in January, obviously, the Bank of Canada left the overnight lending rate. If anything, new listings were on the weak side, working uh, to tighten demand supply conditions. There's a risk uh, mortgage renewal payment shocks could set off wave of distress sales. The report read. What's your guys' thoughts on this? Or should I start? start. Okay. Yeah, I mean... So based on what we're seeing right now, and you could probably attest to the jazz, we're seeing a lot of multiples come back. And we've been seeing that since actually late December. There are properties, like just anecdotal starting off, like there are properties in Bowmanville. I remember it was like December 18th. I was hanging out with one of my buddies who's a realtor, put an offer on that property again, December 18th. Traditionally, you're not supposed to have multiples, but people are getting ready for the holidays. I think it was 25, 30 offers or something ridiculous. So we're, people are almost trying to front run the Bank of Canada rate cuts, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of FOMO that's happening right now. But also keep in mind, we're also coming off from the lowest sales in Toronto the past 20 years. Like, and, and that's when rate environment was hot. We know the rate environment's probably peaked and it's going to, it is going to cut. It's just a matter of when or how aggressively. Um, so I, I don't think this is uh, any sort of like special call. I think most people would agree that prices are probably going to recover this year. We're already seeing multiples come back. Mm-hmm. And if rates do cut as expected, then, I mean, people are going to jump in. I think the big caveat is, is that one, if rates, if inflation, so U.S. data came out yesterday, if inflation remains elevated and it actually failed to meet expectations, right, both core and like overall inflation, bond yields have, have shot up a little bit. Uh, yesterday and today. As a result of that, if we're seeing that rate cuts are going to be pushed out further, that may taper people's buying expectations. But I mean, you're letting in 1.2 million people into the country. Um, Housing starts are at record lows. It's a formula for pretty much like a, it's it's a housing disaster in the sense that, I mean, there's going to be way more than demand than than supply of housing. So whether it's going to be this year, next year, we're going to see prices recover and recover strong somewhere down the line soon. Yeah, my my only thing with this article that I'll add there is I, I think this is a lagged indicator already, right? Like I would, if based on like what I've heard and seen just from talking to other people, it seems like the peak buying opportunity was October, November, hmm. maybe into early December. Rates were higher. It was extremely hard to qualify. There weren't multiple offers. Um, you could get conditional offers accepted, walk away if you want, whatever, ask that, right? Um, I'm always of the theory that by the time the news is talking about it, it's a little bit too late. So I completely agree right? with you. You get the best data from kind of like noise on the ground, right? Um, I've been, we've both been making offers recently and we both, I've been getting outbid and I know Austin's lost a couple. And what areas is that in, guys? Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Because yeah. I know at some point, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys were like going out as far as like Sudbury. I'm not still doing You're still doing that, but you? Yeah. Last year we bought a property in, in Sudbury as well. And then, okay. but since that one, we've, we've been making, we're looking for development plates. What I'm looking for now is different from what I was looking for. Got it. A couple of years ago, right? So when you look for development plays, the cost of construction is the same really wherever you build. If anything, in some of these further markets, it's a lot more, more expensive. expensive right? mm-hmm. um, so then you really want to buy in markets where the, the resale value is the highest as well. Toronto, Kitchener, London, uh, Barrie, maybe, right? Um, 
And then what's the easiest to manage? You might as well buy in Toronto, the, the price in your backyard. Yes. Yeah, um, and you just have the steady flow of tenants coming here, right? Yeah. I, um, and we can talk about like why you're looking into areas like Subbury and stuff like that as well, Austin. For me, I do. And again, something that some would disagree is that the class of the tenant, in my opinion, generally speaking for the last, you know, 30, 40 years in terms of income and staying long-term has been Toronto. Right. Right. Um, I'm a big believer that it's just easier to maintain if it's in your backyard. Now, full transparency, I just closed on a property in Florida, um, which obviously is not in my backyard, but I just liked some of the numbers that I was seeing in Orlando. When you say development, like what are you looking for and what, um, what are you doing there? The four plus one strategy, basically, right? So uh, buy a single family house, make it into four units in the future, uh, put a garden suite on it, exit to CMHD financing, right? The typical kind of like redevelopment play. Yeah. Um, I always just look at like, where is the government mandate going? What are they trying to promote? And let's go with that. Where's right? the big money going? Not right. That the infrastructure yeah, the is going there. Yeah, right. Like I was sorry when I say that. I mean, like in terms of infrastructure as well. Like when I yeah. when I see three levels of government pumping in money into a city, I they know something. Like they've done yeah. they've done their research, and their you know research team is a lot bigger than mine. I also feel like I'm not that smart, and I don't want to. I don't want to just guess. I'm just going to follow that big money, and that's what I kind of meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think Mayu makes a really good point. Like these opportunities. I think Bill C-18, it was 20, uh, 2022 or 2022, or it was finalized like last. Oh, it was finalized last. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so it's yeah. still early opportunities to break into that one. I remember when we were chatting, Mayu's first investment property was a pre-construction in 2014 or something like yeah. that, because there was a gap between the yeah, yeah, gap between the detached and the right. condo market, right? When you can buy a condo back in 2015 for 300 grand or a detached in like Ajax for like 700 grand. Yeah. North York versus Ajax. Yeah. Right. Two different things. You might as well buy the condo. Made a lot of sense. Then in 2019, when I bought a detached at Dick Park and Ellesmere for 670, it was a two bedroom detached, like bungalow, small one. But they were selling condos that were two bedrooms for 550. Exactly. Oh, the detached is yeah. way, 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 way more sense. The gap wasn't as large. Yeah. So that being said, I mean, you almost have to look forward into trends, right? So you were looking forward into like this gap has to either close or increase, whatever the case yeah. is, right? And so I, I, I agree heavily. We know a lot of people who are operating in that space successfully because you have a new financing product, MLI Select, right? Mm. And then you also have these new policies like C18 that are pushing for more affordable or, or the quicker housing build, you know? So mm. um, you want to sort of follow the trends instead, yep. of, instead of go against. And I think the big thing that people worry about as well is, is like the, the tenancy, the tenancy laws, the rent control. When you do these strategies, you're, you overcome that, right? Like there's no rent control on these sort of new bills and developments, right? Yep. Which is very, very important for a real estate investor. In Ontario specifically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's no, there's no tenant risk, right? So if we think back over time, like it was, it was always duplex conversions that were people who were doing pre 2020 and it worked really well. Take a single family and we'll make it into two units, so on and so on. From 2020 to like 2022 ish, three ish. It was buying the commercial apartments that were doing like really well. Like we were all doing the smaller stuff yeah. too. We did some of like the bigger like commercial as well. Say commercial bar- apartments four, four plus. Five, five, five or four in a bot five. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was working really well because cap rates were coming down yeah. as interest rate came down as well, right? So even if you did nothing in theory on these commercial apartments, you would just be able to refinance and pull out a lot more capital just because cap rates came down. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, like these apartment buildings are valued based on a multiple essentially of net income, right? And that multiple was getting, I guess, bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Um, 
So that, that strategy worked well. And, and during that time, all we heard about in the news was real estate prices are astronomical, blah, 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 stuff like that, which is, which is true. And it was. Now all you hear about in the news is rent prices are crazy high, increasing every single month. So the result is these tenants know, you know, and not nothing against the tenant community either, right? But we t- love tenants. So, but the tenants know so much more that like if they were to leave, they would have to pay much higher and therefore they're asking for crazy amounts of cash up front just to vacate a unit, which means buying an existing apartment building, your biggest risk is I have no idea how many of these tenants I'm going to be able to negotiate vacancies with. And if I get 100% of them out, I'm going to make crazy money. If I get 10% out, I'm going to be kind of screwed. You say it's not likely. Is that what you guys are seeing on the streets? Like a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about the whole cash for keys. And like to your point, Mario, I mean, we had examples that we were bringing up that tenants were asking for like, 25, 30, yeah. 40,000 at all. The light end that. For real? Are you it's seeing even more? Yeah. Pretty reasonable. Right. And then, like in some of these outskirt cities like Sudbury, um, Windsor, it's not abnormal to pay 10 to 15K. Up front. Yeah, up front. Yeah. And that's on the, uh, that's even on the lighter end as well. Right. Like people know, for example, like these, these, we're looking at a property. Uh, the tenants have been there for about six or seven years paying about $700 a month. If they were to go to rent the same thing today, it would be $1,800 a month, right? And this is only five, six, seven years ago. So right. gap has increased so drastically. Even if you were to pay them 10 grand, they're not stupid, right? right. Between moving costs first and yep. last, yep. there's not much left over. Right? Yep. Right. And that, I think to Maya's point, the risk is elevated in that asset class. And, 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 and fair to them, if I was a tenant, I would not, I'm paying 700 bucks. I'd never move out, right? Yep. So that sort of balance at the risk scale where development almost makes a little bit more sense, yeah. obviously more capital intensive as well. But at least with the pro forma, you can more accurately predict what the end is going to be yeah. versus with the apartment, if you're buying an apartment building, assuming you're going to get 30% out, you have no idea what that's going to cost you. Yeah. With development, it's just numbers. Right. Plug in the numbers, get, you can get as detailed as you want. And you can kind of figure out, does this work, does it not, right? So are you looking into like assemblies and stuff like that? Like, are you all in that world? Those are Okay, those are too high high budget. (laughs) Right now. Like right now. I get that. Okay. In terms of uh, Sudbury, so you're not doing the development play there, Austin. Are you looking into older buildings there? Right. Yeah, it's just basically the dilapidated building sort of strategy. Okay. Properties that need a lot of work that... Entry price points are much more affordable and it doesn't necessarily need to be Sudbury. I'm willing to go wherever the numbers make sense and where there's a decent population size. It can't be like 30, 40,000 people. Like I'm looking for at least 80, 90, 100,000 people in the city. Yeah. Um, so just buying these distressed properties, doing some basic renovations to it and then renting it out because the quality of renovations in these cities are not like Toronto renovations to do a lipstick in toronto still costs 60 to seventy thousand. because sure you gotta go high end with with right the finishes yeah and cities like that like you can go like cheaper sort of laminate or vinyl you can get away with just resurfacing existing cabinets etc cetera, etc cetera. um so easier entry point at where i where i'm at right now in my journey right right that being said you made a point about toronto having the best sort of tenant class I totally agree with that. One of the pitfalls of investing in these cities is, is that the rents are elevated there. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a good thing because a lot of them are blue collar and mm-hmm. their minimum wage isn't necessarily keeping up with the rent increases. So even when I'm throwing out houses in the market, we're getting a 
ton of applications because vacancies are low, but the majority of the applicants, like, you guys can't afford this place. Right. Although this is market rent, I'm going to have to undercut market rent because I would rather that you pay every single month and you can afford it 100%. than to collect more upfront. And then I know that if anything happens, you're just not going to be able to make And then you can't, it's going to be very tough to get them out. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's- um. You guys did a lot of wholesaling and and burring in the past. Is that something that's coming back now? I know you kind of mentioned it really yeah. quickly off yeah. off air, like in terms of d- there's an opportunity for wholesaling. So I want to go into that, but you want to talk about burring first. Yeah, Austin's got the wholesaling company, so I'll, I'll kind of address the burring side. The burring strategy is the same regardless of what asset class you're doing on. In, in theory, the development plays that everyone is doing it's really still a burr. You're buying it. It's just a renovation. It's a lot bigger of a renovation, right? And then you're doing a refinance to pull out your capital and then you're renting it out for the long term. Um, we're doing the same thing even with apartment buildings. Like we, when the seven plex that we bought last year, there was tenants in there, but that was so undervalued that really the, the process and the effort of the renovation side is just conversion to a legal uh, legality purposes, right? So uh, the, the burr strategy is still working and, and the properties that even Austin's looking at in Sudbury, they're, they're still working on those as well, right? Um, the reality is that today the 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 dollars required are a lot higher, I find, right? So um, a lot of the entry-level investments aren't making as much sense. Even the ones that I'm losing out in Toronto is to the guys that are coming in and, and they're buying like cash and they don't necessarily need financing because uh, we lost one that sold last week for like 950 or something. I'm like, no chance to raise it on 950. I was trying to buy it at like 850, right? Um, but it's so sorry, when you say no chance of it, it being appraised at 950, is that after you do the... The no, repairs, or you saying I had like this is the teardown. It was a teardown, but got it. Okay. I would hate to buy that eight fifty. I'm got it. That's a little bit higher. Worst case, put a little bit more down payment. Call it a day. Just go straight for development, anyways, right? But there's people that are buying these bungalows now all cash. If you're, if you're right. getting with like four people, and do you right? think all the people that you were competing against were investors? Not none of them being end users. I'm just curious. I was having, yeah, I was having that debate with someone as well. Like this was like a complete like teardown. <laughs> You can't even live in it? You could gut it. You could gut it and renovate it and live in it if you wanted. Okay. But you're going to spend another like hundred, at least a hundred on the main floor and then another hundred in the basement, basement and nothing in it, right? Okay. So we're talking at least 200 grand. So if you're buying it at 950, spending 200 on it, 1.15, why not just go buy the neighboring property that was sold for 1.15, right? Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it was a 50 lot though. So I understand why someone bought it at okay. that, but it was only a hundred in depth. Now the 50 lots are nice because you could sever it, go 25, 25, two fourplexes up. So it's worth a lot more to the right person, right? Now, when you say 100 depth, what are you looking for? Like 120? 120 would be perfect for the garden suite. Got it. Okay. But if there's no, if there's no uh, 120, you could still go four and four yeah. if, you, if you get a 50 because you can sever it, right? Yeah. So for the people that know, like, it's worth overpaying because really each lot, you're just buying for 500 grand. The cost of rent, the cost to build one of these fourplexes, even if you call it a million and a half, $2 million, if you bought the land for 500 grand because you severed it. Yeah. Now you're in it for $2 million, going to appraise for three to 3.5, right? There you go. Um, or I guess maybe there's no garden suites for a little bit less, but still like the numbers are solid for the play. It just requires a lot of capital. And the, the most difficult thing that I've been doing is I've been trying to just go at it low, right? Versus a lot of people are coming in with groups of money, three, four guys putting together capital, right? Um, where you can make those kind of calls and you can kind of buy a property in cash, hold it. And then just, you know, b- build it in the future. And just and we, we interviewed someone on our podcast yeah. yesterday. Okay. His name is Jaden. Uh, he's doing this strategy. Yeah. So like he's one of the, he has like investors and they buy these properties in cash. Cause like, all, like the numbers become tougher when you start to finance it yeah. at like higher valuations. Right. They buy it in cash so that the risk is like minimal. They can take their time with the development. They get financing on the construction. But like those are the people that, you sometimes will be competing with, right? Like, especially yeah. if it's if it's on the market, like it's 
it's attractive to a lot of developers. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Okay. So yeah, go on. Talk, talk to me about on. the whole selling yeah. stuff. But what are you seeing there? Like what's, what's different now than even a year ago yeah. and comparing it to like, when did you start doing that? Uh, late 2021. Okay. Okay. Go. So in 2022, when interest rates started hiking, uh, we found that a lot of buyers sort of stepped their foot off the pedal, especially fix and flippers, which is the prime market for wholesalers, right? Because you're buying distressed properties. Um, and anyone who wanted to flip, yes, they would buy wholesale deals from time to time, but mostly you could pivot towards the MLS because you can throw in all sort of ludicrous conditions and buyers will, uh, sellers will end up accepting it because there was no other options, right? Yeah. What we're seeing right now is that sentiment has not only picked up on the home buyer side, which is probably what you're seeing, but also on the flipping, like these flippers are coming back because they're seeing that buyers are going multiples on turnkey products. That being said, like some crappy properties that don't have development potential may not get multiples. Still on the MLS, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they're seeing this sort of discrepancy where um, these like distressed, properties, uh, they can get it under market value. And once they fully renovate it, all of these bars are jumping back in. So we've been going pretty hard onto the marketing aspect again, uh, bringing more leads in. And we're having deals sell sight unseen, whereas before was not happening, right? Before it was not happening, it was definitely a struggle to move deals, but now it's become much more easier. So more walkthroughs, more interest, and we're seeing our open rates in our email. So we have our email list. Yeah. So it's, it was like 30% during... 2023, like sure. summer 2023, and then like late 2022. And now it's closer to high 40s, 50%. That's rock star. Like 40, 50% of people opening up an email. Just right. out of curiosity, you're sending this to thousands upon thousands of yeah. people, obviously, that down accumulated over time. Here's the thing is we did cut some people off for email us. Sure. Opened it. So right, it is. makes sense. I call that cleansing. I love that shit. Every year, right on my birthday, my team and I, we, if you haven't engaged with us, like in a, in a, a year and a half, we send out an email. Hey, like if you still want to engage, just let us know. If you don't reply back to that email, we get them out. Right. Like it's all about quality over quantity when it comes to kind of an email. It's just it's funny that we're talking about that because I think it's so important for people who are watching that don't get impressed by people who have hundreds of thousands of uh, names in an email list. If nobody's opening it, it means really shit. But going back to your point, 50% of people, that's a good yeah, email. Like 40, 50% right. people are opening. That being said, what, I, what, what I've noticed is, is that I don't, I don't want to be like overly bullish. It's some markets that are better than others, right? Like, so if we're doing rural wholesaling, crickets, God, unless the deal, like the numbers are spectacular, but a seller will very rarely, even if their property is ultra distressed, they won't sell it at the price that we need it for, right? Right. Attract investors. So it's more so these big, big and is that, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, but is that because they've owned it for so long, like in terms of the rural guys like those sellers they've owned it yeah. for so long they don't really yeah maybe they're going into some type of distress uh, uh situation right now but why wouldn't they sell it at the price that you're looking for like what do you I think, think i think yeah they a lot of them will need money for either their next move they're usually moving to a lower cost city um that's the vast majority okay from what we've been discussing sellers uh, why they're selling um and sometimes alternatively in these rural areas even if it's a good price, it will still sit on the MLS for a long time, even if it is a good price, because there's just not much sales volume right. activity going there. Right? Yep. It's a limited uh, investor base. Whenever we wholesale deals anywhere close by the GTA or within an hour and a half driving distance, those are what start attracting multiples. 
Uh, we wholesaled the deal last year in Toronto. Um, this was in East York. It was a detached house, quite small, 975 square feet. Uh, we wholesaled it for 680000 Those were the opportunities that were there last year for people who wanted to pull the trigger. There's still opportunities today, but obviously market condition has it shifted a bit. And you said like that 680, was that kind of timing it with what Mami was talking earlier about October, November kind of, or was that even? That was in uh, November. Okay. Yeah. So it's funny, right? Yeah. Because what you said earlier, man, like we're seeing these numbers now, but I personally, and the good thing is with content, it's all recorded, right? We were saying like the time that real estate really went on sale was from like September to December of last year. But people unfortunately hear it as, well, you're a fucking real estate broker. Obviously, you're going to be saying that. But now, I mean, if you can actually bring it up, if you go, uh, Clyde, if you go to um, the Durham in the Brampton, doesn't matter. Pick any one of them, buddy. Whatever pops up first, Brampton, um, where all my Pisons are from. Um, you look at months of inventory here at 1.68 last month. In November of last year, 2023 in December, it was above four months. Like, that was the time yeah. when you had, as a buyer, so much selection. And I like to look at Brampton. And if you switch over to uh, Durham as well there, Clyde, you guys can see. I mean, Durham's showing us 1.39. That's a month and essentially a week and a half. Like, that's how much inventory. If nobody's put another property for sale in Durham, that's all it would take yeah. for everything to be sold. Where, again, comparing this to going back to December, November, October, four and a half months, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, the, the caveat to this, though, I think, is we're in a, we're in a scenario right now where sellers are, and you obviously know this way more than else, right? But sellers are holding off of the spring market because they've heard the same news that buyers have heard, mm-hmm. right? Which is that rates are expected to come down. It went from April to now May to who knows when it's going to be, right? But, you know, there's this, there's this concern that you have a lot of people waiting to jump in on the spring market. I don't necessarily if we're going to see that big of a, of a kind of spike up in inventory. Right? I agree. But, yep. um, well, like right now, I'd say, or at least a month ago, we were in that period of no sellers, a lot of buyers waiting, right? Which kind of caused the scenario that we're in right now. A little bit more sellers have trickled in in February because realtors have kind of uh, recommended that right now might, might be the perfect time, at least that's what I've heard, right? Um, but there's still not enough supply, right? And, and just reality, I don't know if enough is really going to come. Well, well, look, I mean... I, there's another, why don't we actually even just jump to that? Because you're actually talking about what our housing minister was talking about here says building homes is vital. So that's page four guys. Um, housing minister says building homes is vital regardless of interest rates um, in a press conference, yada, 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 regardless of whether interest rates remain where they are or come down a whole point or a half a point or whatever may happen. The course of action remains the same because we know we need to build millions of homes i'm just seeing if this was the same article that actually told us how many they were they're looking to get uh we need to do everything we can so i see they said here we need to make the math work for builders so at least they acknowledge it getting rid of gst capitalizing canadian uh mortgage bond program and putting low cost finance they acknowledge it right yep and they're making some small changes here and there is it enough yeah no for sure i mean look the reality is there's something like two to three people per per unit on average right it's not like it, it's, it's not what the, uh, unit, yeah, the, the average household. Yeah, the average two point one, two point two, something like that. Got an yeah. So, so if you have a million people coming in, even if you think of it a very small scale, a thousand people coming in, yeah, that's two hundred fifty thousand exactly or more. That's yeah, like three hundred or something. Yeah, like that, right. Like, I don't know. Brad, there's no subdivisions being really yeah. built within no, an hour and a half. Yeah, what I mean, like yeah. the last one that I got to my desk was in Colgate. 
like exactly, oh, <laughs> exactly. So that's nor I didn't know that my 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 uh, family bought in there. That is essentially about twenty minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes west of Alliston. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So north of Caledon. Right. 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 North of Caledon. But that's like, and and even that, guys. I mean, that was a big subdivision that Tribute Home, uh, Tribute Communities put together with with a uh, 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 Graybrook, uh, uh, a good you know a partner of ours for a very long time. I think they only did like two hundred homes mm-hmm. there, and that shit got sold out within weeks. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I mean, I like what you said there, Mario. I'm going to use that more often, man, because you know. Thinking about a million people coming in, it's hard for the brain to fathom that and then say half a million ohms that you need. But I like the 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 thousand and you need 250 ohms and yeah. you're just not seeing that. Hence why we see so many condos being built because at least you can put in That's, 250, yeah. 300 units in one. But, but even then, people are not building past two years. Like the launches have not been going fantastic and a lot of developers who stop off and just put, I mean, the pro formers are checking out because buyers exactly. were not willing to pay. They would just buy resale at that point, right? The gap became too large and sentiment was at like all time rock bottom. And so there was no incentive for them to build. They weren't able to hit their sales numbers. I think the only one, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I think the the biggest sale in the pre-con last year was Pickering. 2023. Uh, yeah, right by uh, uh, the gold. Like the Yep. Yep. Other than that, I think it was, and that was price point wise. Yeah. Right. That was not really, we yeah. so it was relative. I don't know why Pickering is selling at a thousand square feet, but it is yeah. getting close. Like, sure. You can buy resale at eight, 900. So it's not like, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think the only thing that helps them there, Austin, why people go down that route is because they can put that down payment right. over, over time. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, right? yeah. you're paying on, like I had investors call me last year and so let me take a step back to put it into context. We get about 60 to 70. So 2000, 2021 and 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 before that, going back to a decade, we get about 60 to 70 projects at our desk every single year. Like mm-hmm. That's how many we get hit with. I narrow it down to six or eight because it doesn't just you know pass my 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 test in terms of what I want to promote to my clients. Last year, 2023, I think I got like 20, and I promoted two. We only did like two, and that was actually based on the fact it wasn't even new inventory. It wasn't a new project. I went back to an older builder of mine where we did, I think, like 30 units in the building. And I said, look, if you can get give me something with a rental guarantee, yeah. then I think my clients might might like something like that because then it puts them to sleep at night knowing what, you know, with what's happening with the rates. We're not right. sure. And the play was out to like 2028 or 2029. Right. Yeah. The biggest reason I think Pickering sold really well last year was because, OK, I don't have to come up with that full 20 percent down. I could do it over a three, four year period right and so most of my investors though when they called me last year i was like we could just like build some equity like tomorrow right you have a closing date you know practically speaking in 30 60 days and we can start paying down this mortgage and building out equity right away mm. especially if you have the 20 percent down it's a no-brainer because yeah. it's the same cost in fact there was resale that was even less than what pre-con was selling yeah right so, I mean, in that sense, it's it's one of the main reasons why I think we see it. Let's go to another article. Um, I, I know we went over the stats, which I really wanted to touch on because I've been getting a lot of questions around that. Um, what do you guys see here? There's what, there's one that I wanted to touch on, which was... Uh, we covered yesterday, yeah. With interest rate cuts with these housing supply constraints. That's the one. And that's the one. And that's actually the next page. Clyde, if you want to bring it up as well, buddy. What do you got here? 
If, oh, that's the same article. Okay, good. I just want to see if that was a video that you want to play. Um, don't ignore the impact that interest rates have on restricting supply as well. He said, my exception is if we see a dip in interest rates over the course of this year, a lot of developers that, and so this is exactly where you were speaking about, Austin, that I've spoken to will start those projects that are marginal today, but will actually pencil out six months from now if interest rates were to take a dip. Just out of curiosity to put you guys on on the spot, when do you actually think we'll see a cut? Maybe more for you, Mario, because you're in that industry a lot, man. You're talking to people and stuff. Yeah, if you asked me two months ago, my answer would have been different than, than it is now. Okay. The reality is two months ago, we were starting to see CPI starting to come down. We were seeing unemployment get a little bit, like even though it was increasing like 0.1 at a time, it was still increasing, right? Um, you were seeing GDP at 0%, um, which they're still forecasting GDP to stay at 0% for Q1, Q2, I think. And then Q3, magically, it's supposed to start increasing. Um, so, you know, a few months ago, I would have been on, on the team of April or May or June, right? I probably would have said they're not going to have as steep of a cut as everyone was thinking, mm. maybe like a 0.25 at a time, like every couple like months or whatever, right? Um, today, it's, it's tricky because now we start to see CPI come up a little bit as well, especially in the U.S. We're seeing unemployment kind of stay basically flat. Uh, you're seeing GDP still stay flat, right? But a little bit more like positive sentiment. You're not seeing as much of the, the, the going off. Well, the U.S. I think reason GDP. Canadian. Canadian, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're not seeing as many layoffs and stuff like that. So I'm just big on the fact that the, the data has to support the cuts. You can't just do a cut for no reason. The big the big issue I, or, or potential reason for the rate cuts to happen is you're going to see a massive amount of renewals really come in 2025, right? 2024 is the start of the renewal season, but it's going to go into 2025. Everyone that got the 2021.5, whatever rates, <laughs> mortgages is going to be renewing in 2025, right? Or yeah, 2025, 2026. Yeah. So we've got some time for that, right? Which really means like they could go the, the course of the year, right? Um, so I can see another buying opportunity coming after this first wave of like buyers gets it out of their system. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'd put the odds at 50-50 of a, of, a, of a June or May kind of cut, a small one, if anything, right? Um, but if, if the housing market continues to do good, like what it's doing today, right? Uh, we might see buyer sentiment kind of peak in like that May timeline, right? Unless we get that cut announcement. And then if we don't get the cut announcement, then sentiment could just kind of drop off pretty fast yeah um and the other side though is everyone's watching these interest rate cuts like it, it doesn't really matter what matters is the fixed rate markets because no one's getting a variable today anyways because you right. got to qualify at such a high rate anyways right so really what you got to be looking at is the five-year five-year bonds right the, the government kind of five-year mm-hmm. bonds that's been like freaking like crazy volatile right and you can see an almost immediate impact on people's borrowing capacity because we're talking about like a six in the beginning of january it would have been like a six percent in the end of January, it's at like a 5%. Now today, it's back to like a 5.7 that we're getting people, right? And that like 1% makes a big difference for people's borrowing capacity. Can you just go into that? How how do interest, like fixed rates yeah. and the bond rates, how, how, how are they in correlation with each other? Yeah, so what everyone's talking about with interest rate cuts is essentially what will the BOC do with regarding the variable rate cut? The five-year, the five-year bond rate is based on a forecasted, um, a, a forecasted expectation of what rates will do over a five-year period, right? So if you think variable is going to keep going up, then the five-year will be higher, right? Because the five-year, the fixed rate return guys want to basically price in future moves, right? So every that's why every piece of news that's coming out when it's so contradictory, like on one side, you have inflation data that's, that's bad, like increasing in a bad way. And the other side, you have unemployment data staying flat, right? Those are contradictory news. So you'll have the fixed rate market jumping up and down and up and down with every piece of news coming out there. So everyone's watching the wrong thing, which is they're watching these variable rate cuts instead of just looking at the, the other data that kind of impacts the fixed rate market, right? 
Um, and, and the other side as well that I'll point out is all these banks, the way they're doing it today is their posted rate will be at like 6%. Mm-hmm. And then really what we're fighting for is how big of a discount from the 6% can we get, right? And what do you UGC there? Uh, well, like literally like a week and a half ago, we were at like 5.1. Okay. So you're dropping it from a 6 to a 5.1. That also means two weeks, three weeks before that, they were dropping from a 6 to like a 5.7, right? So you almost don't know what rate you're going to get until like you got to watch the news. What's the sentiment? What are people saying? Right. Quickly send in a rate request. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah So right now, a five-year fix is probably flirting around five and a half. Isn't Those it? are like three-year fix. I was like, I haven't done a five-year fix. Okay, so, yeah, so yeah, and would you say that's the play? Would you say the play really is to go a three-year yeah. on a fix? Yeah. And and that you'd be probably at about five and a half, right? Low five. Uh, low fives, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And why would you suggest the three-year? Uh, the, the spread between the variable and the fix is, is what we look at, right? So if the variable, if today, if you're getting, let's just say like a six-point, 6.7 or 6.3 or let's say 6.5. Yeah. Math. If you could get over 1% discount from that, my personal theory is that you're going to see a 0.25, maybe another 0.25 cut later this year. So that's a 0.5 cut. Yeah. Say in year one, right? So if you went with the variable, then you're basically, uh, so it's variables at 6.5, fixes at 5.5, let's just say. So you're paying 1% more for year one. Yeah. That's my theory. Year two, you may be at like a, a slight break even. Yeah. And then year three, you really need to be about a percentage lower. Right. So that the three year over three year period, it weighted right. average works out. Right. Yeah. So when when that delta is one percent between the three year fix and the variable, I'm telling people take the guaranteed savings today. Right. Because you don't really know. And so you sleep well. And yeah. just to chime into that, I think part of it, a lot of it is risk tolerance. Right. Because we're seeing all of these things that, you know, the market is volatile at the end of the day. So you don't know if it's going to go up or it's going to go down because CP, to your point, every little piece of news makes the bond market uh, probability of rate cuts go up, down, it changes very drastically. So regardless of the variable and the fixed spread, um, you want to have some sort of certainty, right? For the next three years, it could CIBC Benjamin Tell thinks there's going to be 150 basis point rate cut this year. Hey, that's crazy. But if that happens, right? Yeah. Technically speaking, maybe you should swing the variable weight. But prediction is a is a shitty business, sure. right? Right, right. The banks have made endless predictions the past like two, three years. I don't know any that has gotten it right. You know, like it's just <laughs> constantly incorrect, incorrect, incorrect predictions. So I think to your point, having that element of certainty yeah. is extremely important for a home buyer and for an investor. For myself, like I lock into three year personally because I want to know what my pro... I can reasonably assume in three years, our rates are going to be probably better than they are today. Hopefully, if not, then everything is going to be a little bit of a shit show. Um, And so I want to lock in my pro forma for the time being. If I'm able to make the numbers work today, I want to have a locked in to to mitigate risk. But I don't want to I don't want to risk locking in five years at an elevated rate environment. So I think there's a part of like there's a part of guessing. There's a part of like risk tolerance as well. Now, when you guys are looking at properties in today's market and something that you've even done maybe in the past, how far are you working out your performance? Is it five years, 10 years? Is it a year? Um, if it's not going to be a flip, right? so take that out of the equation because then it's probably based on how long is it going to take to do renovations and the, and the build-up. But in general, what's your guys' thought process and how far you're looking out with an investment? What do you think? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because our, our strategy of burying, we're making majority of the money up front within like a year. And then after that, you're just holding it and you're just kind of like not worrying about it, right? Because with the bird, the, the lift is up front, right? That's the work that we're doing. And then after that, you just want to run it on autopilot. 
But what I found is like a three-year to five-year kind of like timeline mm. is realistic for me, right? Because the reality is like, where are you in, is the next question that you got to like think about, right? Um, I haven't owned a single, I think, I, okay, I have like one property. Yeah, okay. I have like a couple of properties that I've owned for more than like three years. Okay. A lot of properties, like we bought like the condo, we bought it in 2015, we closed it 2020 or something like that. And then we sold it in 2022 or something, right? Um, I had a house in Ajax, we sold that within like a three to four year kind of like timeline. Just because like what we're doing is constantly evolving and we're trying to go bigger and bigger and bigger, right? So like a lot of times like people think I'm going to own the same thing for 20 years. And the reality is if you're, if you're trying to grow and you're trying to scale, right, you're probably not going to. Because you need to yeah. cash out at some yeah. point to build, to scale up. Exactly. Yeah. Up, right. Um, versus like someone like my parents who like, if you're, or, or someone that's like, like 50 years old, right. Um, like when I'm 50, I don't intend to keep acquiring real estate. Right. So at that point, and some of my properties today as well, like I look at them and, and I, we're p- trying to pay it off so that I, in a 25 year horizon, when I'm like 55 years old, it'll be paid off debt free and just kind of like really live off that rent. Yeah. Those are like the, the apartment buildings, which I say that today, but like those are seven, eight, nines. And if I started doing like 10 to 15, 10 to 20, or maybe the development stuff, if it kicks off, right. Yeah. Then maybe those ones are in the chopping block as well. For sure. I right? take all that capital and just put it into the Do you think there's like an, and, and I want to come back to you yeah. with that same question as well, Austin, but really quickly about the apartment buildings. Is there a certain sweet spot in terms of units that might be something that investors should be looking at right now. Like, and I asked that from the perspective of like, I'm, I'm starting to look at like 10 to 12. Right. Where did I come up with that? There's really no like rhyme or reason to it. I just feel like it's manageable for me. Mm-hmm. 25, 30, I feel like, ah, that's, a, you know, there's a little bit more risk yeah. and I don't want to take on that much. Four to five, I feel like there's a lot of people playing in there where I think like that Maybe it's not exactly, you know, 10 to 12, but it's probably like 9 to 12, kind of, where there's not that many people involved in that. But I could be wrong because I'm just starting that process to start looking now. I think it's more so limitations on uh, on your capital and, and your personal your your personal um, investment philosophy, right? I don't think that there's anything wrong with going 30, 40 units, the people mm-hmm. who do it successfully. I don't think that there's actually anything wrong doing four to five units. That's sort of the area that I play around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's more important is like the underwriting. So understanding when you buy these like nine, 10 unit buildings, understand the tenant quality that is that is in there, right? If you're dealing with like all ODSP people, um, they're on fixed income, like good luck getting the turnaround. Same thing. If you're, if you're buying a 30 unit and they're all younger individuals making good income, they're probably going to eventually move out, right? Like it, I, I don't think it's as ma- a matter of the unit count. It's going to be depend on your own sort of like, qualification, the asset itself, like how much money you have to play around with, how much money you plan to raise. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's sort of... Well, no, it's, it's exactly that. One thing I'll say is that I think once you go over like 20, 25 units, you're competing with the fun guys. Yes. Yeah. Right? So like the, the beautiful part about real estate is there is, there is a part of, of the market for every single person. Right. If you're completely passive, you're a doctor, you're, you're a high income earner, condos, very passive income. Yep. Makes the most sense. If yep. you're Someone that's, you know, earning fifty to seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars, but where you want to get started, play around in the single family duplex market. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Choose a market that works for you, right? If you've done a bunch of those duplexes, triplexes, try it a fourplex, right? And then go to the 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 seven to ten is where I like to play right now, right? I'll give you guys an example of why you don't just go too big from the get go. Like the very first commercial building I bought was an Aplex in New Brunswick. Um, and we still have that one today. But when we bought it, we went through the due diligence. The guy gave me the the receipts for the I think it was electricity or something like that. Um, and I was like, cool, ran, ran my numbers on that, did my underwriting on that. He said he had one meter. He gave me one meter's worth of bills. 
I called the build, I called the, the electric company to set up the utilities on the, uh, the day after closing or something like that. And they're like, oh yeah, do you want to set up the second meter too? I'm like, what fucking second? <laughs> right? So there's a whole ass other meter, right? That the guy didn't disclose to me. So it's one thing when you make that mistake on an eight unit building, right? It's manageable. You can swallow it. If that was a 30, 40 unit mm-hmm. building, right? So it's all about like doing the steps and hustling yes. up appropriately or get the mentorship that you need to, to level up properly. I want to chime in something real quick. Uh, the pro forma question, just to clarify, I think it depends on what your strategy is and the asset cost. If you're doing an apartment, I don't think it's reasonable to do a one-year pro forma. You look at Graybrook and all of these big companies, they do like five-year pro formas, right? And yeah. they do the turnaround. Like their assumptions on the turnaround changes. So your ROI changes, your turnaround rate of return changes. If you're doing a condominium, then you look at, again, like three, four, five years because mm-hmm. it is going to be cash flow and appreciation play more so on the appreciation side. If you're doing a burr, you really look at it one, like what you said in the beginning, you look at a one year, right? If you're doing a development, you still look at a three, four, five years, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's going to depend. Your pro forma is not going to be the same if you're doing an apartment to a single family. You need to look at what asset class you're playing in yeah. and then decide how how best to sort of calculate the numbers in burrs again just a year because nothing is going to change aside from appreciation but right like the burr investor most of it is not appreciation based it's like what can you force immediately what's the risks when people are getting involved into a burr because there's a lot of a lot of people who do content on the youtubes of the yeah. world yeah. and on the instagrams i mean obviously last year was you didn't see i didn't see it as much but again to everything that we were speaking about earlier we're starting to hear about it now more what are some of the big mistakes you've seen people make or even personally make at the start so that we can kind of get them away from hitting their head against the wall? We, so we can talk about personal ones that we've made. And then, yeah, why don't I talk about personal? You jump into this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So some of the personal mistakes that we've made is, is that like we focus too much on the pro forma and not sometimes on the asset quality that we're buying, right? So when we invest in Windsor, we buy these properties that are 100 years old and then you can do lipstick renovations to make it look beautiful, that doesn't necessarily remove the inherent risk of an older building. There's older plumbing systems, sometimes moisture leaking in the basement. And so, yes, we get it appraised at the value that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like if we were to go resell that property, it may not necessarily sell for whatever the appraiser we're looking for. Or the pro forma doesn't necessarily reflect all of the maintenance costs that we're going to incur holding this property. So we have assets where we pulled all our money out of the deal. And then now it's like we're fucking one issue after another after. <laughs> it's like nonstop issues. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll shed some light on that real quick. Right, that, yeah. That's because that, that was our strategy. Yeah. Our focus when we were first getting started burning in Windsor was we need to pull out every single dollar as much as possible so we can go and continue to scale up. Okay. Right. Uh, and for a long time, like we would talk about this. We didn't understand why, why the heck people would ever do a duplex conversion. Right. It's like, like, why was a lot like, why would already, you're going to pay this much money you're going to spend this much on it and you're going to leave a net investment. That seems like a crazy number, right? It's like, doesn't even seem like logically didn't make sense to us. The reality is you do a duplex conversion. You, you've got oftentimes brand new windows, brand new furnaces, separate meters, um, all new insulation, all new electrical, all new plumbing. 20 years, you don't need to worry. You know, you can, yeah. So like each strategy has its own focus, right? And it depends on like, how well funded are you? That's all exactly. all about. If you can leave 80, 90 grand and probably go for the duplex conversion. Don't do the shit we do. Like, yeah. It's, 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 it's like lipstick. You got to try to siphon every, any out. Yeah. That's what I said. Well, that's what problems I think get created, right? I think that's like the common misconception. Like everyone who wants to go in the burr wants all of their money out. If they're newer investors, like every investor that I've spoken to who's getting into the game, 
a lot of them, especially if they're younger, they're not comfortable leaving 70, 80, $90,000 into the deal. But sometimes, like that's the reality of the market right, right. now. Sometimes appraisals will come in short as well. You might have something in mind, but if the market is not doing well and the sentiment is shifting, even if your property might be worth X amount of dollars, it could also appraise lower than that on the refi because you're appraising it too quickly. Um, and then now the risk that we're seeing in bursts and the smaller, smaller multis, duplexes, single families is, is that once you appraise that ARV and you pull your money out, it's not even cash flowing anymore. Right. Right. Because the ARVs are pretty elevated. The rates are high. You're basically taking a, you're buying a turnkey, let's say single family or duplex on the market. Essentially, that's what you're doing. And yeah. they're not very cash flow positive. Right. Um, we can talk about some of the risks that we're seeing other individuals get into. It's like, yeah, no, it's, it, I, I echo a lot of what you said. Some of the questions I get from some people is we spent X amount of dollars on the renovations and well, not like now nothing works, right? So on one end, you over renovated it. I'd hope that you over renovated and put money into the things that will have the 25 year lifespans, right? Right. But not always the case. But sometimes uh, they don't even help with the appraisal value. Yeah. I do get value on it. Yeah. yeah. But like, when I get that, I mean, spending money on the kitchen and then the, on the, on the, on the, like an income suite or bathrooms, that's, you're going to get your money back. You got money on that. But the yeah. problem that we run into is like water tank breaks down. Right. Any money you put into water tank, they're money better than fair. Furnace, roof. It already was rented anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Not that we've done this, but every appraisal package that I've seen yeah. people put together is like brand new furnace, brand new windows, yes. brand new roof. Appraiser doesn't look at it. Yeah. Appraiser looks at the cosmetic shit. Right. 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 So you're just trying to inflate your valuation so you can get more money out. As long as you know that that's what you did right. and that there is a bill to be paid with that, right? Which we've been paying for the last we couple blur, years, blur, right? Um, but that helped us with our growth, right? Right. But at the same time, like no regrets, right? And you can sell off properties and stuff like that as yeah. you kind of evolve and go along as well, right? The second mistake I'll say is people don't study the data, right? Um, they, they just think that if I put this money into there, this, this property is going to be worth X, Y, and Z. Right. I know often at a point you had for all of Windsor, every sold property, Organized into, I think that was you, right? That yeah. organized into data that you could quickly rank based on neighborhood, based on how many bedrooms, bathrooms, whatever, right? And you could just just quickly filter it through, right? And then sometimes people, because I also coach some people still, and they'll tell me, um, you know, there's no comp for this type of property. Then you make the comp, yeah. right? Like take a three bedroom, take a four bedroom, figure out what that value is of that fourth bedroom, add it into a table, and you make the data, right? So. There's not enough like data analysis that goes behind real estate. I think we're we're like both like Austin was on the finance side, I'm a CPA by by trade. Uh, so we both come with a more analytical head. For sure. Which has oversight on other areas, like you know, for example, construction that we don't resolve. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but so you guys are more left brain people, obviously. Like I yeah. mean, you're very analytical. I think I think that's a massive advantage with when you're investing into real estate. I think you were talking about for a second there, Mayu, that it might even affect you in other ways, but I, I don't, I'm not sure if I agree there. Like, I actually think that it, it, having more of that analytical brain has probably served you well and served you better than not having that. Mm. It could, but I think it could be tough. Like, like, you think like I think yeah. there's some emotion involved and sometimes you just gotta, like, I'm a right, yeah. I am a right part of the brain mm-hmm. guy. Like, I'd make a lot of my decisions based on gut, which has also got me into trouble in the past, right? Right. Yeah, you're more of a visionary. I yeah, guess, right. Sure. So I guess one of the issues with being over analytical is like taking action because you try to figure out every sort of risk and mitigate it. And that's impossible with any investment. You can't mitigate every single risk. Yeah. So you want the answers to everything and you want to line up to be a perfect storm before you buy into a property. I have a buddy of mine. He's in private equity. He makes hundreds of thousands. And he wants to invest in real estate, but he spent the past two years, three years trying to figure out like every situation. Like, if you just bought in and 
you know, even flexed half of your analytical brain and just bought in, then you would have been better off for sure. Now, right. But it, it does have its detriments. I think that's what sort of uh, scares me off into going into like development or some of the bigger rights is, is that like, how do you eliminate every risk? Right. And it, it, mm. it can't, it's just not, I always talk about it with my landlord clients. Like you want to get to, and you guys as investors will have your thoughts on this for sure. And as landlords, I want to get to like 90% with a tenant because that 10% at the end of the day, they could fuck it. Like fuck me up, not pay for the thing, screw it. Like, you know, break things. It's like, am I at 90% with this guy or with this girl in terms of I've checked their credit, I've checked their socials, I've checked their references, I've done all that stuff. And then that like 90% of like, oh, I feel like these, these, these tenants are going to be good in my place. But I always know that there's a 10% chance of them just not paying them losing their job yeah. and they might not even be on purpose. They might, they could have frauded the whole thing for all I know. It's that like, can you just get to that 90% sign the, the contract and kind of move on? Right. Like, do you guys see that as dealing with tenants as well? Like you can't really get to a hundred, right. To what you were saying. Yeah, I try to get myself to a hundred and the, yeah. the issue that comes with that is I leave my property vacant longer. Right. And, plus- and I, but how do you try? Let me ask you this question then. So maybe I should have phrased it differently. How do you try to even get to one? Yeah, I mean, to your point, you can't get to a hundred. You have to be comfortable, but it's all, it, it is like there's a there's a part of that gut feeling, and the uh, there's an emotional element. There's the analysis element, making sure that they have double or triple the income. But some of that is not. Some of that doesn't necessarily reflect whether they're going to pay or not. So I just, for example, we had a, a, a constable in our uh, unit, police officer, makes a hundred and fifty thousand. He stopped paying rent. Because he's going through a divorce situation right now. Yeah. Yeah. He's going through Omayu just found out about that. (laughs) (laughs) He's going through a divorce and then uh, it's legitimate. He's responding to the phone calls. Got it. Got it. Got it. He's not like trying to like dodge you. Yeah. 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 But it's, uh, I mean, I was so confident because the rent, it was like 1300, 1400 a month. Right. As making close to 100. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing. Right. But apparently his wife drank. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like my, my stance on this has always just been the, the perfect tenant profile wants a deal, right? Like when me and my wife were like, we were, we were renting in downtown Toronto for a long time. I didn't care if the building had certain amenities and like a, almost like everything was the same to me, right? So I just knew I wanted a deal. And maybe that's me. Maybe that's not everyone, right? Um, but at that time, we were like combined income like 250 or something like that for two people. I knew we had good credit, good everything. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong about us. You, you're you're so coming to the table strong. Yeah. And I, so I just went out and I was like, look, like I know this is worth about 2,500, but I'll take it at like 20. I said something stupid, like 21. <laughs> and they counted me back at 23 and I was, I was happy. Right. So we moved in. We were perfect tenants. We gave them notice. We moved out. Then you want a bigger place. Same thing again. Right. Um, so I kind of think about that from, from the tenants perspective as well. Um, I, I know that if you want a really good tenant profile, you usually have to give them a little bit of a deal on their rent. That is one thing, right? Um, I actually like having multiple heads in my units, right? Whether that's students or, or friends or, or whatever it is, right? Um, it, it's just ultimately the rent per head is a lot lower. Like, right? Um, you guys mentioned the word mentorship and, 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 you know, just getting help with data and, 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 you know, experience. What's happening with Rise? Like, I want you guys to like, you have a platform, talk about it. What's going on? And maybe we're, 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 we're working for August. And he asked me just what's some thoughts and some plans around what you guys want to do with Rise? More events. I think okay. we've been pretty bad. In person? Yeah. And there's a feeling here, right? Like time to get back, everybody yeah. kind of thing. Or yeah. can we've tried. We've done it like once a quarter, maybe once, like maybe two, three times a year. But we want to do that more frequently more value uh, in terms of we're doing live streams now in the actual rise community love it so we're talking about that offline yeah um 
just Wait. interviewing and on the face. It's everywhere. It's LinkedIn. It's on YouTube. It's on Instagram. It's on the Facebook page. Okay. It's like every plot. And the Facebook page is, is, is Rise Network. Rise Network. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So we're doing live streams with an expert. So this month we have Andrew Trubetta, paralegal, going to answer anyone's questions. Like a live Ask Me Anything with an expert guest. Uh, we're looking at potentially putting out YouTube content yeah. as well, right? With other investors going for like what we have. Um, one of our one of our buddies that we interviewed actually wants to walk us through his fiveplex development in Toronto. So that's yeah. something that we're looking at doing. Yeah. And uh, well, so, no, so so I think it rise for a long time for us was just like a passion project that we ultimately like just fell into, right? So yeah. Austin started up. It was. Back in 20, 2019, right? We did it, yeah. And then our first in person event was with, oh, at the open. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. first presentation. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I did a networking one, I think, before that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. 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 It used to be like 20, 30 guys at like a bar. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and then like less people, more people, whatever. It was just like casual conversations, right? And we had the, the first in person one was uh, at your office, right? So that was great as well. And then COVID hit. And um, and then at that point, I think Austin has blogged to your article or one of those articles come up. Yeah. And so the rise, um, the rise page just started blowing up and yeah, yeah. you just started to build naturally. Sure. I just, I was going to do a podcast naturally anyways. I just said, hey, awesome. But we just do it under the rise. Together. Page. Yeah. And then we just started doing it yeah. together. Right. And then we just put in like, just, just a huge focus on just like value first Sweet. with no real like yeah. exits, no real like plan. trying to monetize. No. Yeah. I think no. that's where you were going. Yeah. Right? And, and we, we put off sponsors. We put off like everyone that has come to us. We basically said like, no. Just like no promotions, no nothing. Because if you let one person in, you got to let in 10 people, right? And I think, you know, speaking out of experience, guys, like the longer you can hold your breath to monetize, the more you'll make later on. And so your approach of just giving value is going to win. It's just a matter of how long can you be patient to do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I've been through it where I've held off for a very long time and it's, it blew up my business in the most positive way yeah. possible. Yeah. Like the bank account got larger. Like, like, I, like I really want people to understand I'm not trying to mince words by that. On the flip side, there's been times where I forced something and it really, it like I paid for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I paid for it from a perspective of not only the bank account not growing, but from a brand and reputation perspective. And so if yeah. you guys are still in that and, and maybe don't even yeah. need what I'm telling you, but if you're still in that thought process, the longer you can hold off, you will win. Especially you guys, like you, you guys are younger, man, like younger than me. I'm 42 right now. And so the longer that you can hold off on it, you, it will pay off in spades. Right. And, and I want to say kudos to you on your content as well. I see that you do like, although you're an agent, a lot of your content is just about your day to day of what you do, like cold calls, et cetera, et cetera. People like to see that side of things, right? Cool. I think when people go on, like when a lot of new realtors or new mortgage agents, uh, whoever commission based start social media, they immediately try selling. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, people can read that and people don't like being sold. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I was at a, a brokerage yesterday doing a talk and you know, you, I'm, 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 I'm up there. I don't have a PowerPoint. I kind of just wing it. You guys saw it today. We come in here, we have some articles that kind of just make use of to see if we want to kind of uh, uh, talk about it. But when I go on stage, I do the same thing. And yesterday there was just something I felt in the crowd that wasn't landing. And so what it, I, I went down a different route with them. I actually made live phone calls. So they actually heard like, this is the real shit. Like, I mean, how many did we make Clyde? Like, I think I made like 14, 15 calls that nobody answered. Mm. And you know, people are just sitting there waiting like, oh, guess this guy's presentation screwing up. And we're like, guys, this is like how it really is. Yeah. Like you make phone calls and nobody picks up, but I'm not going to just sit here and 
quit, <laughs> right? And what I was really trying to get across to them, to your point about they go in for the sale, I was like, we know this as humans. It would be weird if the first time you met a girl or a guy at a bar and the first thing you said to them was, I got a hotel down the street and it's room 213. You want to go there now? Like, we wouldn't do that. That's weird. Like, you know that. Like, people, I guess, creep out like that and they do shit like that. But you probably don't go in for the clothes right away. Might be a better idea just to say, hey, do you want to go for a coffee? Coffee turns into maybe a lunch. A lunch turns into a dinner. Then the dinner turns into a nightcap. (laughs) You know what I mean? Now you can go to the hotel room, right? And I know I took it there because I really want to, I want people to understand that that should be your process with content. Right. That should be your process with business development, which is give it, just give, give, give. And then you can, you have the right to ask. And that can come through, in my opinion, the best way to do that is ask in private. Like, I like to put out all my content for free and it's exactly what you guys are doing. Yeah. You get into a conversation with somebody on a DM and they reached out to you, they call you, they email you. You have the right now to say, hey, like, I'm just, did you want maybe some mentorship? Did you want some coaching? Did you want to look into investing into real estate? So I really appreciate you noticing. That means a lot, man. Um, your next in-person event, if you need a location, I'll tell you because I'm all about collaboration over any type of competition. But I mean, not even that we're in the same field in that sense, but I've always liked you guys. I'll, I'll let you know that I mean, you could use my space again, put whatever you guys want to put together, work out it, work it out with my team. If it's like a location thing, um, if not, maybe we can think of some other ideas on how we can collaborate. Um, where's the best places to find you guys? Uh, Instagram for me probably is still the best. Uh, M-A-Y-U, Mayu dot Baba, T-H-A-V-A. Um, second, second best, probably LinkedIn is, is so weird. Get a lot of messages there. And Reddit now too, apparently. <laughs> so you're doing on Reddit. Well, no, I just stop doing normal stuff, man. <laughs> Honestly, this is, so going back to one of the earlier topics. Not, not, yeah, yeah. Like go, go plug. Um, one of the better ways to, to see what consumer sentiment is, is Reddit, red flag deals. It's when <laughs> news is flagged, right? Yes. That's yeah. people are sharing like live real time, like opinion. Love it. Love it. Guys, we should look into Reddit. Bring up some articles. You might be or sign my Dean. Awesome. Okay, go. Uh yeah, Instagram. Same thing as my Instagram at Austin Ye6. You can follow us at Rise Network, just on the t shirt here. And on LinkedIn, Austin Ye. You can search and find me on there too. They can see perfectly. I'm just looking at the live the live feed right now. They can actually see that shirt as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Boys, thank you so much for doing it. Appreciate this. it, man. Thank you for being in person. <laughs>